it's almost always unmet expectations. Did they understand reality and you really let them down or was it misunderstanding about what they would expect? When you have a disappointed customer, it's a learning opportunity. Use it as a learning opportunity if the customer's right. The customer is not always right. But as my father used to say, the customer is always important. You must respond. You do it respectfully and professionally, and you try to show a willingness to work with this person to correct their problem. Less stress, more time, more money. Welcome to the Cash Flow Contractor. Deep dive. Did you make your coffee this morning? I make coffee every morning, sir. I just didn't but, know if you went by Starbucks or if you, if no, you uh, did it at home. I, uh, I use Folgers. 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 The best part of waking I, up, right? Yeah. I think I told you I used to, until it burned out for 46 years of marriage, we had a percolator, right? Yeah. And after the last one burned out, I couldn't find one to replace it. So, well, I know it's daughter to get you for used. Christmas. No, I, I I got a Mr. Oh, drip or whatever you call it. <laughs> but my daughters used to uh, make fun of me because, Dad, in a percolator, the water goes over the grounds twice. I said, yeah, I guess it does. <laughs> but evidently, that's care. not good. I mean, I guess that's not good. No, you can have good coffee from a percolator. Well, I think you can. There you go. I'm I think going with you. ultimately the the real problem here, like if someone handed me a cup of Folgers, I'd be a disappointed customer. I, I and that doesn't matter to you. I could not tell the difference. What is something if you that gave me a hundred because what like, matters feel, to me? No, like in, yeah. like if I gave you something and you're like, this is terrible quality, I won't eat it. Like maybe a well done steak is that something that would be like. Take it back. I, well, I would eat it, but no, I <laughs> I usually, if I'm not making the waiter nauseous, it's not rare enough. Oh, wow. Yeah, That's how rare want you it want it. To, want it to move when I stick a knife in it. Wow. I didn't realize you were that. You were into sushi. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Sushi. <laughs> cow sushi. <laughs> cow sushi. <laughs> so I'm in my office right now. And, uh, the walls are solid concrete. You, you know, this building, this was the yeah. first post office or not the first, but first big post office in Norman, yeah. Oklahoma. When I, was, when I was a kid, that's where we went. Yeah. So it's, it is solid concrete, like 16 inches deep. It is like, I don't understand why you would build some, it's a fortress. And I've tried drilling holes to get things to hang and it's impossible. So I'm using all this sticky, yeah, whatever stuff. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, the Velcro straps that you put to both sides and stick them on the wall. So I spent last Friday afternoon. I was like, you know what? I'm finally just gonna get this stuff hung up and stick it to the wall. I spent about an hour and a half doing it. Got a mirror up. Got five paintings up. There are three paintings on the wall now because they've all fallen. To have fallen, and then my mirror, thank God, did not break on the carpet, but which would have been a mess. But it did fall. Um, anyways, disappointed customer, probably not a customer. I don't know who I'm mad at. I'm just tired of spending time organizing the office. Yep. But we're talking about disappointed customers today. 
I don't know exactly how we segue now, but I was going to say, I'm not sure that was the best segue we ever did. I've done better. I've had better uh, segues. So uh, we've got several different things we're going to talk about at this point of customers. We're going to talk about reputation. We'll talk about customer service, quality control. And then we're going to talk about customer concessions, which we've talked about in other shows, but I think is really important on this topic. Um, in terms of reputation, though, I, this is one of my opinions. I want to get your opinion on this. But would you agree that for small business owners, referrals are the biggest source of business? Referrals and uh, word of mouth, referrals and network would be the biggest source of business? Yeah. I mean, probably depends a little bit on your range, but... Yes, absolutely. When I ask people where they get their business, when I first meet them, that's almost always the answer I get. Uh, interestingly, though, over the last 10, 11 years, it has trended to where people are actually identifying and getting, you know, forms filled out on their website. Yeah. And I mean, that's probably always, always worked. But it didn't used to be what I heard when I asked people. Yeah. And so I'm hearing it more and more now. But Well, but you're hearing the, more and more uh, of it too because a lot of it's a buyer's journey change. Like right. people are just comfortable now really going online and just doing the whole process right. themselves without having to talk to anybody else. Uh, right. They trust your reviews. They trust their reputation online. And that allows them to go forward, right? Um, but yeah, I, I oh. still think at the end of the day, that's still word of mouth in my opinion at because if they're trusting someone's word of mouth review, then that's how I did a, uh, I did a study with a guy in Dallas that whom, you know, and we looked at 600 clients and, uh, we walked it back over the years and we walked it back. Where did they come from? You know, two or three stages and, uh, Ashley talked to so-and-so and, and when we, this guy's all about digital marketing, that's what he does. Yeah. And when we got done, all but three of them really came from personal referrals. The referral got them to go to the website, got them to do some reviews. Exactly. Called, you know, and it counted as a website, but it was somebody had told somebody. Yeah. And well, I, I've honor. got to talk about reviews. I have a client that will be in today at four o'clock. They're relatively new. We've only met twice. Um, and they're, they're local. But I asked them because I'm always interested. How'd you hear about me? He said, oh, we just decided we needed a business advisor and we got on, we looked at your reviews and they were all great. So we called you. I go, okay, well, I am a terrible, terrible website manager. I, should I admit that? I mean, I don't do anything. I, I don't do any SEO well, or. Well, but you did for a long time there and you right. invested how much time into your articles and I think for most small businesses, especially professional services like yourself, where you're just selling yourself for the most part, Martin, right. like for that, if you can really nail down who you are, what you do, how you do it and have some educational things and do that really one time, you don't have to invest a ton of time to be able to grow that. Right. Um, and not coincidentally, but because it made me think of it, I have four uh, prospects in the queue right now and all of them are referrals. And my first step with them is I have them book a call and, and we yeah. talk and, and, and I hate to say that, well, I don't hate to say it. It's just true. If I can help them, I mean, yeah. if it's something that I can help them with, if they want pure marketing and SEO, that's not me. Right. That's but if you. I can help them, I always, they always sign. Yeah. It's just that easy. Uh, not easy, but 
So yeah, that being around for a long time makes a difference. It does. It does. I mean, that's time is, is, uh, of the utmost importance in most things, compound interest, you know, compound activities like working out every day, things like that. But especially with your reputation, you put in time on your reviews, you put in time on content over time that compounds and then you don't have to really worry about it anymore because you've gotten so such a solid reputation. Um, it's not like ads where you pay every month. It's a bill, right? right? So there's, there's definitely a lot of value in it in terms of like that being the number one channel. I mean, it just emphasizes how, how much reputation is everything to an, to a small business owner. Like it is everything. And so you have to monitor your reputation out there. Uh, it's important to be getting feedback surveys. It's important to be asking for referrals if that's going to be one of your biggest source. A lot of people don't even ask, or I know you talk about this a lot, not having a referral program in place. Um, I think when disappointed customers come about, there's a few reasons why they might come about. I've got some some answers. You've got some answers to this. So let's start with you. Wh why would a disappointed customer come about in your business. You had a good answer to this right before we started recording. I don't remember what I said before, but basically it's almost always, always unmet expectations. Now, yep. is that legit? In other words, did they understand reality and you really let them down or was it misunderstanding about what they would expect? And if you spend your time making sure that you have clarity with the customer, you'll avoid 90% of the issues that you have. Yeah. You said beforehand, if you have a disappointed customer, you shouldn't have had them as a customer. And hmm. I think that's true. Like yeah. either you aren't qualified to be doing the work, so you shouldn't be having them as a customer, or they're not really a customer you want to have because they're so disgruntled and that's not someone, you should have qualified them better during your sales process. Yeah. I, I think that's one of two. I think un, unmet expectations. Yeah, absolutely. Over the long haul, but beforehand, uh, if you need to, to learn, there's a whole process, but basically you need to learn to recognize a jerk. And sometimes you get ambushed. You think it's yeah. going well and you find out otherwise. So it's hard to be a hundred percent, but you, if you've been around at all, you'll know the warning signs. Yeah. You know, somebody who doesn't I, respect your time and text you all the time and said you were going to, and you should have, and I want this and, and yeah. they changing their mind all the time. Sometimes you just kind of go, you know, I really want that sale, but I don't need it that badly because it's going to wipe out everything else that I'm yeah. trying to do. Yeah. There's a, a really good exercise you can do. I, I'm sure people are familiar with buyer personas. Um, where you're just kind of making a semi-fictional character that is your ideal customer. Um, another term for that is ideal customer profile. Typically, this is when you're doing business-to-business -business transactions, but you can apply it to a to a, uh, a consumer as well. But whenever you're making your ICP, your your ideal customer profile, you usually have it in kind of like tiers. Like, hey, this is our like main level customer. This would be like on the high end, or this would be kind of a smaller project. And you kind of try to distinguish between those different ICP levels and what what makes them fit this ICP level versus the other one. Uh, you're thinking about what their budget is. You're thinking about maybe it's a residential thing. You're thinking about their house size. You're thinking about the location. 
you're thinking about the size of their family, you're thinking about where they work, you're thinking about all the different things, identifiers, demographics, qualifications that they have, what they're interested in, design styles, whatever it is. But so typically, like if, if we're doing that with someone, we're going through three different ICPs, maybe low end, middle end, high end. We always have the fourth column and that's the anti-customer profile. <laughs> and if you, if you, if you wouldn't, that's actually one of the most fun exercises to go through because every time I ask a business owner, so who's your anti, like what, who's someone you don't want to work with? They have really good answers and it's all from experience. It's all from like, yep, I know exactly who I'm thinking of whenever I'm making this anti. But when you do that, it brings so much clarity to the qualification process of, is this a good fit for us or not as a customer? And so I think if you can think about who you don't want to work with ahead of even working with someone, it makes it that much easier to not have those disappointed customers. And it's really not just disappointed customers. Oftentimes a disappointed customer means an upset boss. It means a stressed out employee. There's huge impacts that are beyond just your reputation whenever you're dealing with a, a disappointed customer. Yeah, I have a uh, a person that I, I'll, I'll even say it's a family member, not oh. in Oklahoma, but was talking <laughs> to him or her, to this person, and they're wanting to paint their house and all this. And I said, how's it working out? Said, well, we had a guy out here and he was here for a while, but he told me he didn't think we could work together. <laughs> and good for him. I did not explore it, but I'm thinking, well, I mean, the guy might've been a schmuck. I don't know, but probably... He was an experienced guy and he's going, man, I'm seeing a lot of warning signs here, you know, <laughs> or snickediness. And so I just get my mouth shut, but I thought, Ooh, now this person does not listen to our podcast. So this person will not know I said that. <laughs> I've got a, a good friend who, you know, who's a roofer and, um, he listens sometimes. Maybe I'll send him this episode. He, uh, there's a huge storm in, in Oklahoma in 2021 and, uh, my old neighbor, but also dear family friend, uh, wonderful people. Um, <laughs> I referred, I referred this to the friend, the roofer, uh, their house for their their roof to be replaced. And this project, it's a residential roof. It went on for months. It it just went so long, and she was the type of person that was. Uh, going to get up on the ladder and get up on the roof and watch the guys doing the work and like just over the top sending texts all hours of the night about little things. And it's because she's so diligent. Um, and she's, she's a wonderful person. You would absolutely want her to be your friend, but I don't know if you want her to be your customer. <laughs> and he, <laughs> he, he tells me about it all the time. I ask him, Hey, like, I think they need some work done here. And he's like, no, get away. <laughs> I never want to go back, right. but yeah, it's, it's, you got to know what, what are the signs? Are they, if they text me more than five times unprompted in a day, they're in my anti-customer profile, right? you know, right. something like that. So I think that's a, a really good thing to, to be aware of. I think when it comes to an actual disappointed customer, they have impacts. We've, you know, obviously I think a, a, a disappointed customer that leaves a bad review it can leave a, a huge impact. And we're going to address reviews in more detail here in a minute. But obviously, I think it's also very, very important to just make the point when 
if majority of your business is coming through referrals and you have a disappointed customer that you don't handle well, that's going to impact your referrals, which is going to impact your business. I think a lot of times you can think, oh, it's just that customer. I don't need to worry about it. But the reality is like you really did miss an opportunity here to have a compounding effect of referrals on your business because maybe you you would you handle that situation well and they're like, wow, I really appreciate how he handled me as a disappointed customer. I feel like I was heard, understood, and that a fair outcome was achieved uh, to address the issues. And now I'm I'm a, I'm a raving fan. I'm going to pass along my friends. I'm going to share this with everybody. I you know know that they need to use you as a as a as a contractor. The other aspect of this, you don't know who the anti-evangelists are out there. Do you know what I mean by that? I do not. So an evangelist being someone who's you know a raving fan who's going to promote you uh, nonstop to uh, their friends, family. They're going to make a social post about you like, oh, I love this guy. The anti-evangelist, the exact opposite. Oh, okay. They don't yeah. stop at a bad review on Google. They go to Yelp and Facebook and every other place you can yeah. better business bureau and leave the review. But then they also start the the thread on Facebook of photos and never trust so-and-so and tag you and everyone else likes it and has the angry emoji face on their, their right. posts. That's the yeah. anti-evangelist. Have you ever seen any of those? And, oh, oh, yeah. And I read a long time ago, I might have the number a little bit wrong, but they're 26 times as likely to leave a review as a raving fan. Of course, the yeah. definition of a raving fan includes a review, but of a well-satisfied, happy customer. Uh, as we all know, because when you try to get Google reviews, it's just like pulling teeth. Oh, I promise I will. And then they just don't. That's why they're worth so much. But the negative guys, the antis, they'll leave a review. Yeah, it's it's way easier to leave a bad review than it is to leave a good one. Um, but obviously you can make, we'll, we'll talk about getting good reviews here in a minute, but in terms of a disappointed customer with a bad review, how would, like if you, when you get a bad review, Martin, how do you address it? Well, I think one thing, the first thing is, well, what's a bad review? I don't get bad reviews. Actually, I did. I got a four star <laughs> from somebody I don't know. Yeah. And my response was, you know, without going, who the hell are you and all that was, hi, that name. How do I know you? Have we ever worked together? I'm sorry, I don't recall that that we have. This person yeah. responded, I've never been there and left it at four star. I'm going, okay. I mean, but at least I've responded. So the first thing is, uh, in my opinion, you must respond. Yeah. Right. Uh, second thing is you do not get into an argument in a review response. You don't say, well, by God, I called you on the 26 and you were going to call. And then they come back and pretty soon you got two paragraphs. That's probably yeah. counting towards your SEO of all the bad stuff, but you be polite and firm and, uh, you don't have to say it was my fault if it wasn't, but you yeah. say, I think whether you're doing it in a review or in person, but how can we make this better? Contact me and we'll see if we can reconcile your issue. But you, you don't, one of the principles, what, whether we're talking about before when uh, looking for the antis, uh, when prepping people so their expectations are clear, responding yeah. to a review, 
is that you must, in your mind, you must command equality. In other words, because mm -hmm. you are selling something, you are not the inferior person. A yeah. lot of people go out there and think that, well, the customer is always right. The customer is in control. Well, it's just a plain, simple fact that the customer is not always right. <laughs> but as my father used to say, the customer is always important. The only way I'd modify that is to say they're not always important. Because <laughs> some, sometimes you just go, oh, the best thing to do here is, how, is to bow out. Right. So my response is that you must respond. You do it respectfully and professionally. And you try to show a willingness to work with this person to correct their problem. Mm -hmm. I think that's the best overall answer. Yeah, I think when you do get a bad review, um, there's a few things. Well, let me tell a story really fast. So like for yours, for example, that's a fake review. That's someone doesn't know you, just decided to leave a four star. And the, for some reason, the four stars, two through, two through four hurt more than a one, uh, in my opinion. Because it's like, wait, what? why? Well, why did you not? Yeah, <laughs> you know, no, like no, the... no text, no text either until I responded and said, "Haven't ever been there." I'm just going, come on, you know, no, like when you get, get the one star, you're like, okay, they're they're not happy, right? Like I need to address this, but maybe like they leave a three, they're like, oh yeah, it was all right, and you're like, what? Like, <laughs> it's yeah. just it's, it seems unsatisfying. Anyways, so. Uh, my, my sister works at a, a roofing company, nationwide roofing company, um, based out of Chicago. And, uh, they had, this is a crazy story. They had a delivery guy who's a contractor delivering pallets and, uh, delivered the pallet, uh, of shingles or whatever it is, TPO to the warehouse and he was on uh on the actual trailer that he's on with the pallets he has a forklift that's a united rentals forklift right. it's not for the warehouse it's yeah stuck it's on the back of the trailer stuck on the back yeah. of there so he he takes the for or they have our employees get on the united forklift pull off the pallet I say our employees, my sister's employees, pull the, the stuff off. And when they're coming, the, the fork hits, damages the trailer, long story short, okay? But really, there was already a problem with the trailer. And this delivery guy gets really upset and wants my sister's company to pay for a new trailer, buy him a brand new trailer, like demands it. And they're like, no, like there's no way we did this much damage. Maybe there's a little bit of damage, but that's because this was like, there was a piece of wood and the trailer already bent up. And so the fork hit that. It wasn't like they scraped it. It was like, no, that something was wrong with the trailer in the first place. Anyways, long story short, this guy goes on, leaves a one-star review on their Google My Business profile, but then proceeds to get everybody in his community that has no doesn't even know who this company is. They all leave one-star reviews. I think it ended up being like 22 one-star reviews and with comments like worst business I've ever, you know, yeah. worked with, like just fake comments essentially. And it was a process of six months probably trying to get these reviews taken down. And I think at the end of the day, Google only took down, because they're fake reviews, right? Right. right. Um, 
but you have to go through a dispute process with Google and it's, it's, you're working with bots essentially. Um, and I think we ended up getting six or seven out of the 21 taken down. And that comes to my next point with, obviously you, you talked about dealing with negative views, replying, asking who they are, things like that. But at the end of the day, the best thing you can probably do because you can't get things taken down is get more reviews. Go get more yeah, five stars. Yeah, about your five. Yeah. And that's what they did. They went friends and family, just like the other people did that had these fake reviews. They went and got a bunch of, I mean, they're real people, but not honest customer reviews. And I think they got like a hundred and three five star reviews. And so right. now they're, you know, back up in the rankings and all that kind of stuff. Um, so anyways, I think a, a replying to those reviews and sometimes even just how you handle those reviews is a testament for people. Like I'm going to go and read a business's one-star reviews and see how they addressed it and why they got the one-star review. If I see a one-star review with no text, I don't really give it much merit. If there's a long situation that they're drawing out and then there's no reply to it, then yeah. I'm like, okay, maybe they're right. But if the business comes back and says, hey, we really appreciate you providing us with that feedback. We actually tried to address this with you and you never answered your phone. And right. you know, they, the business owner that, gives a little more that context. Is, that's, on, that's on the edge of getting into an argument, but that's all right. No, yeah. that's all right. I mean, I, th I think if, you, if you're providing clarity and context and saying, hey, we'd really love to make this right, just give us a call back, right? You right. know, if, if, you, if you handle it in the right way, then I, that, for me, I'm like, oh, well, they obviously care about their reputation enough to come on here and reply. And I can see that this might just be a bad customer, not necessarily a bad business, right? So anyways, um, I want to talk about just in general, not just bad reviews, but how do you handle a disappointed customer in general? Well, there is, I mean, it depends a lot on the person. If they're just a narcissistic, crazy person, it's pretty tough. But one thing is you don't get mad. Well, you get mad, but you don't show it. Uh, you have yeah. to behave properly at all time. I'm a firm believer that that's it. And a great disarming method is to ask, okay, what would it take to make this, to satisfy you, mm. to make this right in your mind? And surprisingly, uh, they'll come often come back with something relatively small that you can actually yeah. do because you've flipped the narrative from uh, opponents to, okay, what, what do I need to do? Yeah. And I had that with a client this week on Monday who had a job that just drug out and had he known probably wouldn't have taken it. It's about a $50,000 job, mm -hmm. but the real problem there was from his standpoint was driving two hours to get to the location because the electrical and all this is done and they, they hadn't even started. And, and so he literally told them, look, uh, we need to figure this out so that we can get done. He said, but I have driven out here four times and four times what you said was done just wasn't. Now we need to get this done. So both of us are happy. What's our schedule? When are you going to do it? You're going to send me a, uh, FaceTime that the electrical sockets are where they belong yeah. and I'll be out and we'll do it and we'll get it done. And the guy said, okay, that sounds fair to me. Yeah. Okay. So you got to navigate that, but by getting mad, isn't, isn't going to uh, take you in the right direction. 
I mean, no. go ahead and be mad, but showing it, chewing them out. And yeah, I mean, being, being mad and showing it are two different things, right? Like, you got to be composed. Um, I think two books that are really good for this. Have you read Nonverbal Communication? No. Wow. You would love that book. I it's a really to. bad title. I mean, it's a good title. Or sorry, not nonverbal, nonviolent. I said nonverbal. Oh. Nonviolent Communication. Hmm. I, it's, a, it's an amazing book. Um, really bad title because it makes nonviolent makes you think like, oh, we're getting like aggressive yeah. here. Like, or, you know, but that, it's really just about having really good communication practices, um, really changes how you talk a lot. Another one that I know you've read is never split the difference with Chris. Oh, yeah. And a lot of times I think it disappointed customers just like a negotiation. And I love that you use the word disarming and that's like the name of the game going in is just be disarming. And that doesn't have to even be with what exactly you say. It can oftentimes just be with how you say it. When someone's yelling at you and say, oh, wow, and you just change your tone and you, you turn your head to the side and listen, you're like, and you give them a, a yeah. look of, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm shocked. Or like, I feel what you feel. Just your body language and your tone can completely- Relax your shoulders. Yeah. It yeah, can really, you completely know change the situation with a disappointed customer. Um, I think also- just trying to see it from their perspective um, and getting a full picture and not assuming anything. Don't assume that you did something wrong. Don't assume that you did everything right. Just try to truly understand, ask questions, and then mirror. That's another really good thing. So like customer said, well, you guys weren't, uh, you guys didn't do this well. We didn't do it well. Just say we didn't do it well. Right. And then they'll say, yeah, you didn't do it well. And they'll elaborate more and they'll talk and you'll get to see what really the root of the problem is. Um, but I think those are really good things. Try to disarm, be very composed, use nonviolent communication, and just make sure that you're watching your tone and trying to understand the whole situation rather than just jumping in with a rebuttal all the time. My uh, son is a master at this just naturally and always has been through the army. And he, he just is. And we were talking about it one time and he said, I always seek to de-escalate. Mm. That's yeah. all I'm thinking about. Now, recommend that our listeners read Foss's book <laughs> because he is a genius and it's fun to read. But one yeah. of the things he says, you're not looking for yes. You're not looking for them to agree with you. You're looking for them to say two words. That's right. That's right. That, yeah. that is the point where you've connected with them that, you, that shows that you understand. Mm -hmm. And he talks about what he calls empathizing, which a lot of us think um, empathize means that I agree, right? I feel the mm -hmm. same thing, I agree. And he says, that's not what it means. It means that you have heard and understand their position. Doesn't yeah. mean that you agree with their position, but that you've heard and understand. But I like those two words of de three words, de-escalate and get to the point where you say that's right. And to get to yeah. that's right frequently through mirror mirroring, yeah. yeah. just read Voss. I mean, if you could read it and master what he does, yeah. Uh, oh my God. Have you watched his YouTube videos? I have seen some. Not, okay. Because reading been the book is absolutely audio. helpful and the audio book's great too, because I think so much of this is also having, like he talks about the the late 
night DJ voice and yeah. all this kind of stuff that you can kind of think about as you're reading the book physically, but hearing it is really helpful. Right. Because just the, the pace that it, which he talks and all that kind of stuff. But you can watch like an hour YouTube video of him giving like live interactive demos of negotiations with like the audience and stuff like that. And those are really cool where uh, he's he's sometimes the one that's the the guy that takes the hostages and you're trying to negotiate with him and he just owns right. you. And then it's reverse where you have the hostages yeah, and he just gets you to do what you want. I don't, I don't think we mentioned, but Chris Foss was uh, FBI's chief hostage negotiator for a long time, international. Yeah. And then he, he's on his own now, but he went to Harvard where they have a whole school on negotiation. And he's this yeah. guy walking in with a community college degree, but 30 years of experience and he kicked, we whipped all their butts. Yeah, you know? he did. And so now it's they a, brought it's him It's a really on. good book. Lots of good stories. He is, and he's a great, great guy. I mean, yeah. you can just listen to him, read what he wrote. But I think yeah. that the, the takeaways for somebody to just kind of remember are the de-escalate, you know, the get to the, to the, if you literally think about that with the next hostile person that you're discussing and you can get them to say that's right, which yeah. you restate. So I imagine that you feel pretty disappointed. You're, you're under a lot of pressure. You got a party coming up and we still haven't painted the kitchen. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Now you're on the same page. Yeah. And I say probably going to wind up painting that kitchen, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and this gets to a whole nother point of, I think this ties well into just customer service in general. And what I want to do is ask you a pretty, uh, I don't know if this is a big setup or not. We'll see how you take it. Who who should be handling customer service? That's my question for you. Who inside of a company who should be handling customer service? Well, that's an ambush. <laughs> well, I mean the the glib answer is to say you should, right? But but you can't do that everywhere. I mean it depends on the situation. Sure. Uh, but you have trained staff. Uh, we have a mutual client who has brought on a lady who is magnificent at bookkeeping and understanding and controlling that aspect of the business. Yeah. <laughs> and she has contributed mightily to the turnaround of this company. She's a very important person. But when she calls to collect accounts, within minutes, the owner of the company that owes the money is calling our mutual client. If you don't get ready... Yeah. She is not customer service. She's <laughs> black and white and my way or the highway. And she's not afraid to tell you. And we're working on that. So you can't just say it's an office staff. Yeah. But to find that person who, you know, there are several things about people getting mad at you. First, if they get mad at you and you get mad back, they are controlling you. Right. Right. Absolutely. And the second thing is, as an employee or as the owner of the company, you think you have the right to get mad. I don't have to take that kind of language mm -hmm. on the phone. And there's a point, you know, where you don't. But also, no, you do. That's part of your job is to de-escalate, get to that's right. How can we help? What is it going to take to make it right? I can have the owner call you. So that person might be a receptionist. That person might be a salesperson for you. Uh, it could be a project manager. It could be all of them. So I don't know if I answered your question about who should do no, it. No, and it, you basically did. I, in my opinion, sure, you can have a dedicated customer service role on your on your team that 
is the person that's replying to the Google reviews. Maybe that's you. Maybe it's some office oh, staff oh, or whatever. Google reviews a little different, but go ahead. It is. It I is. Just, I think that's like a that's a true customer service role. You are handing support tickets and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but I think set at the up end a of the day, in process. Right. I think at the end of the day, everyone on your team is responsible for customer service. Yes. You have no idea when someone's going to be disappointed, when they're going to raise a complaint, when they're going to ambush you with to whom? something. It's the guy working that? on the job. I said, or yeah. to whom they're going to do that. Yeah, to who they're you going know, to, exactly, to whom they're going to do you it gotta, to. And so everybody in your team has to be trained because you don't, if it, all it takes is a technician on your team to answer the phone, to be at the customer's house, to be on the job site and to run in with the customer and to handle it the complete opposite of how you want it to be handled. Right. And now that is your reputation, right? Right. And so you, you, have, you have to think in, in terms of who, when I'm hiring somebody, is this someone that I want to be handling customer service? <laughs> like that's something that you have to consider, right? And right. you have to be ready to have playbooks and to have training for your team on, here's how we handle disappointed customers. Here's the impact of a disappointed customer on our reputation if we don't handle it well, so that everyone understands the big picture. Uh, because otherwise, you're going to run into a situation where you're just putting out fires all the time, and it's 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 not possible to maintain. Yeah, I, um, that that is correct. Everybody needs to know, and you can just envision because I've seen it. I can actually see in my mind guys walking off the job because they don't have to take that crap. <laughs> you know what? Yeah. No. Yeah. No, just relax your shoulders, you know, respond politely, get to the, that's right. Find out what the problem is there. Sometimes people are just crazy. Yeah. But a, a lot of times they have a legitimate concern in their mind and you can address it. Well, I understand that's not done because we have to do this first and we're going to do this afterward. And I can't work if you're standing here. Yeah. Or get the hell out. No. Well, I think I, I think that's another a good point. You know, you have to think about it from the employee side. Oh, I don't have to take this crap, and they walk off the job. Obviously, that's true. They really don't have to put up with some customers that are so terrible that they're treating people terribly and cussing them out and being unreasonable. Um, but you don't want your, your employees to to react that way, and I think your employees won't react that way if you, they know you have their back in that right. situation. And so whenever, a lot of times we can think, oh, that employee took care of it, it's fine. Make sure you go check on the employee that you, and then if you you follow up and let them know what you actually did, hey, we ended up firing that customer. So I'm really sorry you had to go through that, but just know that I always have your back. Right. You handled this professionally. That's exactly how we want to do customer service. And I was able to make a decision that was best for our company and something that can protect you. Or Hey, they were having a bad day. I'm really sorry they took it out on you, um, but you handled that perfectly. I, I think you have to uh, to acknowledge that to employees because, as a business owner, when you're removed from the front lines a lot and you don't see all that day to day stuff that can really get on the nerves of your employees, it's easy to not think about it. But it's happening, you know. Um, so just a, a good little point in there is. When you have disappointed customers, you probably have stressed out employees and you need to check on your employees. Um, yep. So I, I want to make a diff... Well, I'll make a quick note here and then I want to go into customer concessions. So in terms of uh, disappointed customers, there's a really good learning opportunity. Sometimes, you know, the customer is important and sometimes the customer is right. 
Sometimes you did something wrong. Sometimes you set unrealistic expectations or no expectations um, and left room for assumptions. You have an opportunity to do quality control on your processes from sales all the way through production to installation to even just customer management. You, when you have a disappointed customer, it's a learning opportunity. And use it as a learning opportunity if the customer's right. Use it as an opportunity to see where did it go wrong and how can we fix it in the future. That's one of the biggest learning opportunities. And a lot of times you don't want to do that because you've got a million other things going on and this customer is just another thing that's causing stress in your life or you know, another problem you've got to deal with at the, at the time. But it's a good learning opportunity. Um, and see where it went wrong. And if you treat it like a learning opportunity, then oftentimes the customer appreciates that and they're willing to work with you again because they see your willingness to listen, to make changes, to be uh, constantly improving. So um, we, we had a great episode on quality control with uh, Jacob Edmund. I think mm -hmm. your, your good customers, but especially your, your disappointed customers uh, that you didn't end up treating as well as you probably should have, are the ones that you can learn from the most. Um, so customer concessions. What's a customer concession, Martin? Customer concession is when you concede something. That's a tautology when you use the definition of the word. Yeah. Use the word in the definition. But you concede something that's beyond the scope of the job. Uh, well, that's how I think of it. There are probably yeah. other concessions. Um, because principally, well, for two reasons. One, you weren't clear in your scope. At least you were clear in your mind, but not necessarily clear in their minds. And you're also, you lack the confidence to say no. And I, I give a great example of that is I had a pool guy who started out and didn't have a very good contract because he hadn't learned enough yet to put everything in there. Yeah. And he, he's talking about my pools are turnkey, you know. Well, you get out there and there's a giant gas line going right to where he's going to dig and, and a sewer line over to the main and ka-chunk, ka-chunk with the, with the hoe, you know, well, we got to move that. Well, you said it's turnkey and my guy conceded and it probably oh. $7,000 between the two of them. And he didn't have the confidence to say my pools are turnkey, <laughs> but not, you know, what was here. I mean, you, you both have a case. They have a case to say, well, you said turnkey and I understood. Yeah. So, um, that's, that's a concession. And I see a lot of them and it's because, well, as I've said before, and I think it's a major message of this whole podcast is clarity, right? It's the preparation of, of understanding and clarity. And when you go out there and give a concession, it's almost always because the scope wasn't clear. Everybody listening to us knows what we're talking about. Yeah. And it's whether, did you have the courage, I want to say, to stand up with de-escalating shoulders down and say, no, that's not what it means. And then, well, yes, it is. It says turnkey. And are you going to stick up for yourself and maybe find a middle ground? But the guy I'm talking about, that can see, he conceded a lot. Yeah. Uh, fences and sprinkler systems and dirt work and moving gas lines and uh, yeah. electrical work. Well, my electrical work is to the wall. Well, they got to run through the attic and cross the house, put in a different 250 amp panel. That's not, you know, that's thousands of dollars. Well, that, that's not part of it. That's all in his contract now. Right. And, 
and in the positioning document, but early on. So that's generally what a concession is. I, what what do you think? I mean, I suppose no. I, I think I think I would sum it up as usually it comes out in scope creep, where it just yeah. falls outside the scope of what you actually do, and a lot of times you concede to the customer because you feel inferior. You feel like there's a need there. I, I think almost always in your mind, you need that customer and you can't afford to lose them. So you concede no matter what. Right. And that's, you know, we're going to have an episode coming up about margin. Um, and, and more than that, are you charging enough? And that's exactly why you want to have margin so that you don't have to concede because when you really need the money, you feel psychologically like you have to concede right. because you need to get this job done. And it's all about that mindset at the end of the day. Like there's, there's things that are beyond the scope of what you should be doing. And when someone's demanding that from you, you have to have the mindset that I'm going to say no, because I don't need to do that. That's not who I am. That's right. not what we agreed to. That's not the expectations that we laid out. But I think on the other side of that, another part of the problem with customer concessions is not knowing who you are. And what I mean by that is not understanding you know, not knowing what your positioning is, like you talked about with your expectations, not having that nailed down and clear, uh, not knowing what you will and will not do, not knowing who your ideal customers are and your anti-customers, right? Uh, and there, it stems from an identity issue a, a, as well. So um, yeah, how, how should someone handle a customer uh, concession? The guy says, hey, you said turn key, you ruined my sprinkler system, I want it in place. How do you handle that? I, I mean, the way I would do it, it's situation dependent, but is, yeah, my, my pool's turnkey. The sprinkler's not part of the pool. Yeah. The pool's turnkey, but the gas line and the sewer line aren't part of the pool. Mm -hmm. um, or you find seven yards of concrete, which buried in the ground for some reason you have no idea. And it happens, right? Yeah. So, yeah, you just have to have the courage. And, and if they're is a legit, you can compromise, although Gary, Gary Voss would say never split the difference, but yeah, <laughs> uh, you can compromise if you have some and say, but you can also say what it would take to make it right. They say, well, it would take to make it right is you fix all this stuff and say, well, that's a little bit extreme. I can try to find you somebody, I can work with you, and then you have yeah. to make the decision. Yeah. But I you think always do it. You don't do it yelling. Yeah. You don't do it yelling. I think Chris Voss is a great one to understand his tactics when going into these conversations with customers. Um, I think at the end of the day, you also need to be prepared to say, Hey, the scope has changed. The price needs to change. Yeah. I mean, I think just having that mindset going into a customer concession with being willing to help, but there, the scope has changed. My price has to change is, is a huge one that you can start with. The original message of this uh, podcast is that these things are generally best handled up front. Yes. I mean, 100%. clarity, expectations, change orders, uh, good contract, yeah. uh, package that you leave, a positioning document, which we've talked about before, that doesn't help you if you've got to this after, if you're listening to this while you're driving over to talk to an IRA customer, but it will prevent it in the future. If you do not have clarity, if you do not talk about the things that can go wrong, if you do not list 
I'm not going to move your gas line for you. And I don't know if there's a gas line there or not. If you don't list those things, the reason people generally don't is because they want to sell, sale. Yep. And what that means is that you're over-promising and you're going to undeliver. You're kicking the can down the road because you're, the problem that you have now is I don't have a sale. The problem later is that you're not going to make money on the sale because you're doing all this extra work. So the benefit of going through that is say, I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to have these documents. And we do talk about the, the positioning document elsewhere, but it captures all the things that can be in your contract. But like my pool guy, he can say unknown obstacles. And he can list in a one-page document. It's not even the contract. Hey, there are gas lines, sprinkler system, fences, uh, grade work, what to do with a spoil, maybe you need to build retaining walls. These things are not addressed, but they are likely to come up. The next thing is any change beyond what's specified will require a signed, priced work order, uh, change order. We're not going to go, okay, the backhoe's still here. We'll go ahead and dig another spot. No, you don't do it. And yeah. that that will eliminate 80, 90% of your problems. That along with learning to recognize the anti, would you call it? Anti-ICP, anti, anti anti-customer profile. Yeah. yeah, the anti-customer profile and not being desperate. And you may be desperate, but as Brian Tracy says, you have to act as if you're not. Yep. And that's, that's hard, but you have to do that because you will never, we've talked about and written about the contractor death spiral. That's the fastest way in. And then it's really <laughs> tough concessions. because if I don't get that check for the next one, I can't finish the last one. He's going to yep. sue me. And so I'm going to make a price concession. I'm going to do whatever I have to do. I'm not going to tell him about all the things that could happen. Well, you're just kicking it down the road. There needs to be a point certain where he said, you know what? I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going to, I'm going to be clear. I'm going to have change orders. I'm going to have rules of the road. I'm going to have the project manager at the site every time a sub is working. And we're going to do this right. Or I'm going to get the hell out. Yeah. Because otherwise it's suffering, perpetual suffering. It is. That was a really good summary, Martin. I would, I would typically do the recap, but uh, I think you've done it well. That episode that we did, the positioning document, if you if you want to listen to that, is 174 from September 7th. Um, so we'll link to that in the show notes as well. It talks about just clearing up your expectations ahead of the sale. Um, so yeah, disappointed customers. Uh, like you said before the call, I tried to tee you up with this. You didn't get it, but you probably shouldn't have them. Either they're the wrong fit for you and you shouldn't do it. Or you're not ready for right. that type of customer, and you need to rethink what you're selling. Yeah. So, uh, well, you you're going you're going to have them. You're okay. going to. I mean, that's yeah. but you can have one percent instead of like forty percent. <laughs> and yeah. you talked about compounding. If you've got unhappy customers, you're pulling off a job to go take care of this. Now you got two unhappy customers, and there's a third one comes in. Now you got three. You just have to say no mas. Right. No mas. No more. No mas. No mas. Well, thanks for talking. Um, yes, I hope sir. that you get your uh, four-star review taken care of. I uh, I looked right before we got on, and it's still there. I, I'm <laughs> very upset. I do have to say this in passing, too. If you have a lot of reviews, let's say you got 50, 40, 50, 100 reviews. If you got a one in there, 
it doesn't really hurt you that, in my no. opinion. Because the idea that somebody can have 1,200 reviews and they're all five-star, you're kind of going, really? <laughs> so, <laughs> so you, still have to re- you still have to respond. You do. You do. You still to the good to and the bad, not just the bad ones. Both the of good them. and the bad. Everything. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. yeah, for sure. All right, Martin. We'll see you on the next one. Okay. Talk to you see later. You. Thanks for listening to The Cashflow Contractor. Check out our website in the show notes or visit thecashflowcontractor.com.